You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. So welcome again to Grace Community Church. My name is David. I am pastor for Creative Arts, and my intern for Creative Arts texted me that he was sick with a stomach bug last night, so I filled in on music. I was looking forward to picking on him for leading all the songs, and instead I get to do that. Uh, that's, that's what I get for my intentions, I guess. And then uh, be praying for both Jason and Simi, who was scheduled to sing this morning, so my wife filled in for Simi as well. And but Pastor Brad, our lead teacher, is uh, out of town and has the privilege of actually hearing his son preach this morning, and so we're excited for him, and I get the privilege of preaching from John 14. So if you've not picked up a John journal and please stop by the next table out in the lobby and pick one up. Uh, we began our series in John last year with several breaks along the way. And we'll continue to walk through John until we finish it. So it's worth having the journal if you don't have it yet. Sometimes we've been able to take really large chunks of text. And sometimes we've focused very specifically on key verses. And Pastor Brad loves to teach the Word. And he illustrates for us every week how... Uh, no matter how deep you dig into the scripture, there is even more to uncover. There are more connections, more implications, more context clues, and richer application to each of our lives and to all of our lives. You see, God's word was written to each of us and to all of us. As the text from last week in John 13 so clearly reminds us, we need one another. Because we actually experience love and forgiveness and grace in relationship with other people. Now, of course, we should love and forgive ourselves and be kind to ourselves, as Andrew Peterson sings. But the fullness of life as a human is experienced in relationship with other people. We are made in the image of the triune God. And again, as Pastor Brad reminded us last week, our relationships within the church family help us to continue to grow into that image in which we are made. Because the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been in a mutually loving relationship for all eternity. And we were made in that image. So we picture or image God more clearly when we're in loving relationships with God and with each other. And that's why I don't mind uh, when folks are really loud in the lobby when we're singing songs. Uh, because they're just living into the image of God in which they've been made, right? Uh, but, and they're quiet right now because I said this in first service, <laughs> but, but God was silent for 400 years between the prophets and John the Baptist, so maybe we should image that sometimes, huh? uh, Just saying. Speaking of John the Baptist, how's that segue? Uh, it's important to remember that everything we've been studying in the book of John is part of John the Apostle's case for Jesus' divinity. John wants us to believe in and believe into Jesus. So he wrote this account of who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, hold on, I'll get to John the Baptist. Now, but as John the Apostle is making the case for Jesus, he begins his book with an opening statement in the courtroom in which we, the readers, are the jury. The prologue to John, or the first part of the first chapter, is a lens through which we can clearly see the rest of the case or the rest of the book. So if you have your Bible, turn to John 1. It'd probably be fair to leave your thumb in John 1 every time we're preaching out of John. 
This is chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So for those of you here, you may have seen the highlighted words on the screen as I read. For those listening elsewhere or for those who are just reading in their own Bibles, Maybe you didn't notice the screen, but listen carefully for words from John 1 that are then repeated in our text from John 14 in just a few moments. So our text is John 14, 1 through 11. And it's part of the farewell discourse. So Pastor Brad introduced the farewell discourse last week, which begins in chapter 13. So basically from chapter 13 all the way to the end of the book is like a downhill thing from a narrative perspective. Everything is snowballing. And John spends the majority of his book talking about the last week of Jesus' life. And in particular, these last few days of Jesus' life before death and resurrection. And this final conversation that Jesus has before his death is in the shape of a chiasm, such that John repeats some key things around a powerful central truth or analogy in this case. So today's text comes from that first arm of the chiasm, just after the foot washing, moving toward the central truth that's illuminated in John 15, which, for those who don't recall, is the vine analogy. And we'll get there soon. I'll say more about this in a minute, too, but this section of text, as you see here, it highlights a fundamental quality of being human, fear of being alone. Remember how Jesus preemptively address this in his words from last week's text? He has just said, love one another. But as soon as he begins to talk about change from the status quo of the last couple years, the guys who have been living and walking with him, they get anxious. Change. You're leaving? What will we do? Where, where will we go? And those disciples, like all of us, 
were made to live in relationship with God. So when God, Jesus, mentions leaving, of course they freak out. They should get anxious and afraid of being alone. They've been walking in fellowship with the one who knows them deeply, who loves them perfectly. And at first it sounds like this is going to end. And in their impatience and lack of trust, they get fearful and anxious. And they're already feeling lonely. So would you stand together with me as I read our text from John 14? Jesus says into that moment, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, I've said this before, and in fact, I think I said it in my most recent sermon uh, from last summer, but the songs that you loved in your teen years are the best songs on the planet, in your humble opinion. Am I Am I wrong? The top bands from your teens and your 20s are the soundtrack for your life, whether you appreciate that now or not. It, just, it is what it is. For example, when I read this text a few weeks ago in preparation for preaching, there were several songs that struck me, songs I haven't actively listened to in years, if not decades, and yet every word came back to mind immediately. So let me invite you uh, into a brief trip into a worship leader's mind specifically a worship leader who grew up in the evangelical church on a steady diet of CCM rock and roll. Now, the verse reads, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And all the 30-somethings in the room who also grew up in youth groups uh, might know where I'm going with this. I don't know if you 
Some of you are pretending like not to know the motions to that, but I know that you know them. So it would have been okay. There's plenty of freedom here, no judgment. Uh, But I did talk to Pastor Brad before deciding to insert a song into the sermon. So it's not a cat's away situation by any means. Uh, And I don't intend to be merely clever with a song as an illustration. Like there is an important distinction between cleverness and wisdom. And I intend to use songs as illustrations in, in the context of wisdom in handling this text. So arguably the football thing doesn't really exegete the text well, but stay with me for just a little bit longer. Jesus knows the disciples are getting anxious, and he addresses this directly. Let not your hearts be troubled. So I've been reminded in recent months of the power of separation anxiety, which is very similar to what the disciples are feeling. And lest I forget how powerful this feeling can be, Uh, My one-year-old daughter, Rosie, reminds me and my wife the moment that her feet hit the floor, uh, or sometimes we we don't even get all the way to the floor because she's arching her back so she doesn't have to touch it at all, it's because she wants to remain in our arms. And as a toddler, she is incapable of conceiving of the fact that we are still there once the door is closed, and her little heart is anxious. It takes a lot for us sometimes to leave her in those moments, even when it's for her own good and for our own good sometimes. What the disciples are feeling in this moment with Jesus, however, is a multiplied version of this anxiety. Of course, they are troubled. The one they've been following, who they left everything for, he just said he's leaving. Oh, and and Peter, the most overtly passionate one among them, he's going to deny Jesus soon, so there's that. Let not your mind, your heart, your inner life be troubled. You know that uh, sick to your stomach feeling? I don't mean the stomach bug that Jason and Simi have or that one out of three people in our church might have, uh, but that sick to your stomach feeling that's connected to a troubled heart. Sometimes it's a poor diet, but sometimes it is a troubled heart. All of our being can be troubled by change, by uncertainty. And yet, Jesus, here with his disciples, and here with us, addresses this. Believe him. Keep believing him, just as you once did. There's no small irony in the fact that on this night, when Jesus knows he's been betrayed to his death, when he is the one who has all the rights to be troubled or upset or anxious, He's the one comforting all those around him. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back 
that where I am, you may also be, is the way that I know that text. So here is actually another song that came to mind as I get to this verse. Thank you to Jeremy, who has to run to work, and Chris, who had to fill in literally last minute for Jason uh, to help play on the song. Uh, if you're not familiar with that song, that is by Rich Mullins. It's on the last record that he wrote, which is actually a demo tape that was recovered. And then uh, this particular song, there's a full version where it morphs from the demo tape into a bunch of artists uh, helping cover the song and bring it to life. It's really great. Uh, you should check it out. But there is a tricky word to navigate in our text uh, that comes out. Right as we get here, it's, it's rooms or mansions. If you are reading in the KJV and some translations, you may see this, and that's how some of us have it memorized. So in its defense, mansions had a very different connotation 400 years ago. Uh, and in Greco-Roman homes 2,000 years ago, often the kids would build rooms onto the property to expand it uh, to live with their family. So accordingly, the Greek word here is much closer to apartment or flat. It means dwelling place, not castle-like structure with Western European sensibilities. We import all that in. So it's powerful to remember 
that God desires to dwell with us. So not like Bruce Wayne and Alfred in a giant empty mansion, but like a young married couple in a one-bedroom house where they do everything for life together. This place where Jesus' followers will dwell with him is an everlasting or eternal destination. And it is Jesus' going that prepares the way for them. It's Jesus' imminent death and resurrection that prepares his followers to be in God's presence without fear of punishment, but rather with the privilege of adopted sonship and daughterhood. So Jesus has made a promise in this brief exchange with Thomas, one that should have brought significant comfort to those listeners, uh, the disciples, and, and to us. However, there are always questions and doubts lingering in our minds. And Thomas gives voice to one after Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas asks, since we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And Thomas doesn't realize that my father's house is a bit more than just a metaphor. That is indeed where Jesus is going, uh, to dwell with God the Father. And that is where we will ultimately be. It's a real destination. We will be in the presence of God as he dwells with us for the rest of time on a new earth that's not broken by sin. So Jesus is going there to prepare a place for us, but Thomas doesn't catch what that means. So of course, then he doesn't know how to get there. But we know. We know how to get there. The only way to be in the presence of God is through Jesus. So it follows that Jesus is the way. This is the sixth of seven I am statements in the gospel according to John. Jesus has been making bold, meaning-filled statements all along. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the one who is from above and not from the world. I am the gate or entrance to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. And I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus' answer here, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it's one of those verses that's kind of the gospel in a nutshell, right? Like John 3.16, which you've been singing, functions like that. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 is like that. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Jesus' simple answer, though, is absolutely loaded with implications. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So recall how Scott Colbreth led us to the table last week. Jesus is the gate. Otherwise, this meal of remembrance is closed off. We only come into unbroken, unimpeded fellowship with God the Father through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who we'll read about a whole lot more in the coming weeks in the farewell discourse. But Jesus' claim here lands with a really exclusive statement. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And we, we could spend a whole sermon unpacking the implications of this one statement in the context of this verse. But Remember Acts 4.12 as well. Peter preaches that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. No one comes except through 
Jesus. It's certainly worth significant consideration. It's a humbling statement. It's a sobering statement. It's a motivating statement. In this moment, however, for all of us who are gathered in this room to worship Jesus, let us hear it as encouragement, as a deep comfort. We are here because we believe. And we have been and are coming to the Father through Jesus. But back in our text, one would think that after hearing such a provocative answer, and by that I mean thought provocative, uh, that there would be some peace brought to these troubled hearts of those who have been following Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And they've been walking with him for three years. So if he's the way and we're following the way, then we'll get to the Father. But Philip keeps this trajectory and comes up with a rather interesting request. He says, Jesus, just show us the Father and we'll be good. Now, when I read this section, I like to imagine like Thomas is right here and Philip is right here and the other guys are off over here just kind of watching the interactions. And Jesus he is just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Philip says this, and I just imagine, really? Or maybe, really? I mean, Jesus is way more patient than I would be in that, in that moment. He displays way more patience for a question like that. Have I been with you so long and still you don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So how can you ask this? But these questions, these questions and requests that the disciples make, they illustrate the anxiety and fear of loneliness. We don't know where you're going. So how can Google Maps route it for us? How can you leave us? Lord, do something miraculous yet clear, and that will be enough. Just show us the Father. And, and this is the human longing to gain firsthand practical confirmation of theology. We long to have a verifiable experience, some inarguable data, and then all our doubts can be dealt with. And then we can have understanding, and that will lead to faith. Except that's not how it works. We've been given faith as a gift, and we are seeking understanding. Faith seeking understanding. In John's gospel, and in real life, a belief precedes knowing. Belief is deeper than knowing, which is why Jesus has repeatedly told them to believe him. And really, Philip doesn't know what he's asking. I mean, do you remember the last person who, who said, show me your glory? Moses asks for the glory of God, and he has to be hidden in the cleft of the rock for his own safety. Otherwise, it would be a Raiders of the Lost Ark situation in real life. The dude's face melts. Sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, but Moses doesn't even know what he's asking for. Because asking to see the Father is a dangerous request. Even if it would bring some sort of empirical, verifiable certainty to reality. Because the problem is, as Jesus states, I've been showing you the Father. This whole time, Jesus is the means by which the triune God interacts with humanity. He is the image of the invisible. 
the fullness of God in a body. So for those disciples, Jesus was the way to see the Father and not have to hide anywhere. And now, Jesus is the way we see and know the Father's love without having to hide at all. But these symptoms of loneliness and anxiety, they run deep. These kinds of questions and requests from the disciples are still sentiments that we encounter today, both from people who follow Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. For example, we don't know what happens after death, so how can you claim that? Or, I don't know what to think about this institutional religion stuff, so why should I care about following Jesus? Or, I'm open to God showing himself to me. He just hasn't audibly spoken to me or written with his finger on the wall or sent an angel yet, so, meh. We're all anxious about a destination that we can't yet see. We're all worried about being wounded by other people or by misunderstandings of God's love for us. We all want to know our creator, and we want to be fully known. So this conversation that Jesus has as part of this farewell discourse, it indicates that the disciples know God the Father through knowing Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. The disciples' anxieties and loneliness and our anxieties and loneliness are answered in the person and work of Jesus. Through Jesus, we can truly walk in the way of life. Because Jesus is the way to the Father. And he leads us in the way. It's no mistake that early Christians, as we find in Acts, are called followers of the way. It's one of those great connections between the Gospels and, and the Epistles and, and the history in the New Testament, too. The only time we see that is in John here, and then that's what they're called in Acts. Followers of the way. There is no other way. And this way is narrow. It's not a broadly meandering way. It's a focused way that has a real destination with lasting consequences. Jesus is the way. Follow him. Jesus is and tells the truth completely, showing us reality as it really is. There's no falsehood in him, as we will see very clearly in his trial and crucifixion later in the text. Jesus only ever speaks truth. And the Bible records, certainly not all, but some of Jesus' true teaching. And Jesus lives in perfect relationship with God and with other people, showing us what true humanity is all about. Jesus is the truth. He shows us reality. And Jesus is and provides life, everlasting life. Our life now is best lived in light of eternity. Because life, biblically, has a now and a not yet component. There is life now, and there is life that is not yet. And Jesus shows us both. He lived, he died, and he was raised from death as a guarantee and a foretaste of the life that we don't have yet. But we will, because he proved it. There is a life that does not end in death for those who come to the Father through Jesus. John's been telling us this about Jesus from the very beginning. 
Jesus is the life in John 1, 4. Jesus is the one who has life in himself, John 5, 26. Jesus is the resurrection and the life from John 11, right after Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And in his letters, John says that Jesus is true God and eternal life. It's in 1 John 5. So Jesus is the source of life, and in him we have and will have eternal life. But death is such a powerful specter in human life. Its shadow causes anxiety. Because of what Jesus did, we need not fear death, the ultimate loneliness. Jesus has defeated death, and we are more than conquerors through him who has so deeply loved us. This text is bookended with a command that I extend to you as well. Believe Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe into Jesus. Believe what Jesus said. He only ever speaks the truth. And Jesus also tells his disciples and us to believe on account of the signs, the works, the the miracles that he performed. And that's why John records them as he does in this book. Remember, we're in the courtroom. He's bringing evidence. He's bringing those who will bear witness, who will give testimony to who Jesus is. So John records these things to bear witness to Jesus as God. The water turned to wine all the way to Lazarus stumbling out of the grave in his grave clothes. Believing him, faith in him, shatters the barrier of sin and death. And it blasts open the road to eternal life, to the kingdom of God. So the miracles are like nonverbal Christological signposts, just as the I am statements are verbal signposts. So look at the signs. You do know the way. The answer to loneliness and anxiety is truly walking the way of life in and through Jesus. Bruce Milner has a, a powerful section that I'll quote at length in his commentary on John. He says, here Jesus touches another great cause of troubled hearts, not merely among these first disciples, but among his followers over the ages. Life at times does not appear to make discernible sense. The vastness of the universe oppresses us. The seemingly impersonal cycle of nature evidences no master plan, and the story of humanity rolls on generation after generation with little apparent meaning at the heart of it all. In our personal lives, unexpected happenings break in unbidden, sometimes cruelly, and we find ourselves lisping the verdict of Macbeth, who said life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. In such moods, we cry out from our troubled hearts for some word from beyond to reassure us that there is a meaning, that a heart of love still beats behind the cold indifference and arbitrariness of things. Jesus' heart does beat. And he says to you, believe in God and believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. On the last Sunday of the month, as Stephen mentioned during our time of prayer, we take an offering for the purpose of giving benevolent gifts to those in our body, who have emerging and emergency needs, 
And as Stephen mentioned in corporate prayer time, it's, it's difficult and important ministry. So please consider giving over and above your tithe or usual offerings to this fund as we take this up in just a moment. So that out of our abundance, we may be a picture of God's grace to us. Because he is given, we can give. Because he has put us in community together, we can love one another in ways that remind us and remind the watching world that we are walking in the way, in truth, with life that is abundant now and that will be everlasting. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for the opportunity to again gather and to worship you, to sit under your word and be taught. We thank you for Jesus in whom we have everything we need for life and for godliness. And so as we give out of our abundance, may your people be encouraged. May this be a method of sharing the gospel with our community and with one another. We do ask that you would give wisdom to those who administer this and that you would be glorified in all the ways that we seek to point to Jesus, to exalt him. May we be established in the truth as we continue to sit under the word, and may we be stirred to go and to make disciples, to engage the world, because there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no way to the Father except through Jesus. We love you and thank you for him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.